Welcome to the podcast of Saltbox Church, where we are passionate about sharing the hope of the gospel until Christ is formed in you. Well, good morning. You got me a little, or the Lord's got me a little teary this morning. So here we are. Welcome on this hot July. You made it. You're not at the beach. We're at church. Come on. I want to look into our cameras, too, and welcome anyone who is joining us online. Welcome, or perhaps from the beach. Someone sent me an email the other day and said, we worshiped at Church of Masonboro Island, <laughs> but we had you on the live stream. I said, oh, great, great. That sounds delightful. I think I'll go worship at the Church of Masonboro Island later. Okay, here we are. Um, I am in um, Acts 10. Um, we are shifting out of Acts 9. I actually went back and counted. We spent six weeks in Acts 9. We're going through the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible, open it up to Acts 10. This is a fascinating um, sort of passage here that we're going to look at together um, because it's about this guy named um, Cornelius. And Cornelius, um, is a, he's a Roman, and we're going to find out more about him. But most people would look at this passage and say that the passage is about the saving or the conversion of Cornelius. And at face value, it is. That's exactly right. However, I think something that's far more powerful in this, and it's what we're going to focus on this morning, is there's actually a conversion that happens in the heart of the Apostle Peter. So if I had to title this, uh, in my Bible, I'm reading an an NIV, um, it says Cornelius calls for Peter, but I would actually title it the conversion of the Apostle Peter. And here's what I mean. Uh, Cornelius is a Gentile. So we're at this sort of cataclysmic place in Acts 9 and then Acts 10, where coming out of Acts 9, we've seen Peter respond boldly under the power of the Spirit to the challenges of sickness and even death. He's called on the power of Jesus to heal Ananias, to raise Tabitha from death to life. But as we launch into chapter 10, what you come up against is the deep prejudice Um, in the heart of the Apostle Peter. What we are going to begin to see, and the question that really needs to be asked here is, how is God going to deal with the Apostle Peter, and how is God going to take a church that at this moment is largely closed, focused on Jewish people, and they have just extended it just a hair and included some Samaritans, which would have been half-Jews, or or they would have probably been called half-bread. I don't mean that disrespectfully. But so we've gone from Jews to widen the circle a little bit to include um, Samaritans, half-Jews, and now there's this whole openness that's about to happen and and the gospel is about to get blown wide open and extend itself to Jews and Gentiles. But in order to do that, God has to confront and deal with the prejudice in the heart of the Apostle Peter. Yeah? So I actually titled this Overcoming Prejudice, The Conversion of the Apostle Peter. So I would even say to you, there's, there is most likely in Peter's heart and in his life and certainly in the church at this point in Acts 10, deep-seated racial intolerance, um, and God's going to have to absolutely break it down. So here I want to open this thing wide open. We're going to start reading the very last verse um, of Acts 9, verse 43, and here's what we're going to focus on. Um, we're going to deal with how Israel got to the point uh, where they sort of um, twisted in their own hearts and minds. I think the election of God, God having chosen them as a special people and a holy nation, and how that became twisted or contorted inside their own hearts into favoritism, um, and then 
really racial pride and hatred towards the Gentiles, even despising them as dogs. Okay? You're like, Pastor Michael, you're throwing us in the deep end. I am. I am. We're going for it today. <clears throat> um, that that uh, ra- the, um, Gentiles as dogs comes out of Matthew 15. Jesus actually says it in reflection of how the Jewish people would have viewed um, the Gentiles. So we're going to deal with how Israel has twisted sort of their view of themselves. Then we're going to deal with Peter's pride. I did something that old school preachers do. Here you go. Peter's pride, um, Peter's prejudice, and then Peter's priority. So what is it? And, and this is really what I want to dig into. I think the um, real pivot point in this sermon is what is it? What is the priority in Peter's heart? And what makes Peter so special that he can, he can walk through such sin and then repent and experience such openness and be used so powerfully? by God. Make sense? So if there's hope for the Apostle Peter, guess what? There's hope for and that's right. And that's the point of this. Okay? So that's, that's what we're going to do. So let's open this thing up. Um, <clears throat> this is really funny uh, or awkward or something. But I'm, So I have in my notes um, to tell this story of a dear friend um, right here who's come off sabbatical for 90 days. And he texted me last night at like 9 o'clock or something and said, hey, I'm going to come to church with you tomorrow. And I said, great. I've got this story that I'm going to tell. It's in my scratch notes. <laughs> so here's the story. And, I, and the reason I want to tee it up like this is because I want you to understand Peter. As we get ready to read here about Peter, he is um, focused on what Peter is doing. Right? He is launching this New Testament church. People are being healed. People are being raised from the dead. People are coming to Christ. He's baptizing people. And sometimes when we're so in our element, we are focused on our thing. We are unable to hear and see what the Spirit of God and where he might be leading in other areas. You follow me? So you're so consumed. You can even be consumed with your own pain. You could be consumed with a vision or a calling that is legitimately from God. You can be consumed even with good things, helping people or helping the poor, whatever it is. But you can be so consumed in that thing, whatever it is, that you actually miss what God's calling you to do. Make sense? And that's what we're going to see here with Peter. Um, and then I'm going to tell you a little story about me. So uh, my dear friend has been on sabbatical for 90 days. And I had a nudge from the Spirit. We've been talking about the still, small voice of God. Well, I had a nudge from the Holy Spirit, from the Spirit of Jesus, that I should reach out and try to connect with him. And the last three months at our house has been relatively difficult for a number of different reasons. Suddenly, three months has gone by. Guess what I didn't do? I didn't reach out. So I actually had to phone Nate and share with him a little bit, ask his forgiveness this past week. He didn't even know that I was supposed to call or whatever, but who knew? I did. And I had to go, Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Now, one of the things that as we open this up that I want you to see and get and understand in a very powerful and practical way is a lot of us, if you've come through old-time Christian sort of religion, would view this idea of repentance, which we're going to be talking about the repentance of the Apostle Peter here, as something where you like beat yourself up, you shame yourself, and then you try to perform a little bit better so that God's pleased with you. That is not repentance, okay? Repentance is bringing an area into the light of Jesus that is not in agreement with him and saying, Lord, would you forgive me? And it's allowing him then to plant his new heart and new mind inside of you, appropriating, if you will, the kingdom of God, the presence of the Lord Jesus, and beginning to walk new in him. It's actually, um, it's separated from anything that you would do or not do except your choice to surrender your heart to him. 
Does that make sense? So I have this thing, and I want you to understand that because the, the life of Jesus, the life of the Spirit, the life of a church in many ways is about us living in hearts and attitudes where we're in repentance to the Lord Jesus. Because the moment you do that, like, um, let's make this just simple and practical. I get impatient with my kids. I get frustrated with a neighbor. Abby and I get in a fuss. The moment I call a timeout and humble my heart before God and before, say, Abby, and go and ask the presence of the Lord Jesus to come in and engage in that repentance process, what happens? The kingdom of God is drawn from that unseen reality into our heart, our home, our relationships. The blood of Jesus that exists to cover all brokenness is suddenly there, and the resurrection life of Christ can now take root and grow up inside both of us. You follow me? And I realize that's simple, but it's also absolutely profound. And the faster we as a people can learn to close our mouths repent, turn to him, call upon that finished work of the cross to come, the faster that the love of Jesus, the, um, the forgiveness of Jesus, the grace of Jesus, and the transformative power of Christ being formed within you and me takes root. Make sense? Okay, let's dig in here. Um, Let me remind you of one more thing as we read. We're going to start in 942. But um, Jesus, I'm not going to turn there, um, but in Matthew 16 actually said to Simon Peter, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Okay? Peter has effectively used those keys to open to uh, the Jews to the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, Acts 2. The second time that he has effectively used the keys to the kingdom, if you will, is when he opened um, the Samaritans to the saving power of the gospel in Acts 8. And now Peter is again going to be called upon by Jesus to use the keys to the kingdom to open the door, if you will, to Gentiles, which would be you and me. Okay, so let's uh, open it right here and begin reading. <clears throat> Acts 9, verse 43. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a, a tanner named Simon. Okay, uh, Joppa is, um, coincidentally, is where uh, Jonah went in the Old Testament to run away from preaching to the Gentiles. It's where Peter goes in the New Testament to open the door to preaching to the Gentiles. Interesting. Okay, so uh, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. What in the world's a tanner? He tans animal skin. So he's like scraping flesh off of them. He would be getting removal of the hair off of them. He'd be tanning them. Does his house and workshop smell nice? Probably not. Um, and Peter, uh, this, is, this is, it is an indicator of something going on in Peter's heart because a, um, a rigid Jew would never stay in the house of a tanner because they would be considered unclean. And then Peter would therefore be considered unclean. Then he couldn't enter into the, um, the tabernacles. Um, he couldn't enter into, um, not the tabernacle, but he couldn't enter into the synagogues and actually preach and share because he'd be considered unclean. So there's something already fascinating happening in the heart of Peter because he's saying with this tanner named uh, Simon. Okay, verse uh, chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius. Caesarea is about 32 miles from um, uh, Joppa. And so there's a, a, a man named Cornelius. He is a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. So what's a centurion? He's a commander. He's an army commander, leader. He's got about 600 men under him. Just a quick reminder, Rome is forcefully occupied Palestine and Israel at this point. Are the um, Roman leaders, army leaders and commanders uh, popular with the Jewish people? 
No, absolutely hated. Okay, and they've, they've been abused at the hands of these people, likely. Okay, verse 2. Um, he and his family were devout and God-fearing. Okay, he gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Now, let's just pause it right here for just a second. Um, So Peter is staying at the house of Simon the Tanner. Now, 32 miles away, the Holy Spirit of God is working in this little place named Caesarea. Caesarea Maritime is this beautiful place. It's like white sand beaches and clear Mediterranean waters and where you want to go on your beach vacation. Really. Um, so this 32 miles away, so you, you have um, all of the sudden uh, this uh, set, or, um, Cornelius who's in this Italian regiment and he's a God-fearer and just real quickly what that basically means is it either means he's religious or there was actually a category of people who were called God-fearers and a God-fearer would basically mean that he rejected the, the polytheism of Rome, he, he'd accepted the monotheism of um, Jewish people, he'd adopted the ethical and moral standards of the Jews but he'd not yet become a full Jew by being um, baptized as a Jew and by being circumcised. Does that make sense? So he's like a God-fearer is the way I would, I would sort of, the, the scripture even says um, he is. All right, let's keep going. So verse four, uh, <clears throat> or verse three, he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. And the angel answered, your prayers and your gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout uh, soldier who was one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. All right, verse 9. About noon the following day as they were on their journey. So who's on the journey? You got, yeah, servants and his personal attendants. So Cornelius is a man in authority. So God says to him, he responds to the angel of God. And I think notice that God shows up and an angel shows up delivering a message to Cornelius. He's a man who is used to receiving orders and he's a man who's used to giving orders. So as soon as he receives the order, he turns around and says, go, go get him. So the servants go, and this attendant go. They're about noon. They're on their way, and they're approaching the city. And uh, because they're traveling at noon, they're like urgent. They're like going for it. Most people would be resting at noon. So Peter uh, went up on the roof to pray. Okay, so Peter's up on the roof of whose house? Simon. Okay, so he became hungry, and he wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, you know, he can't just throw something in the microwave, right? He's got a, somebody's killing something, starting a fire, cooking something, like it's, a, it's an ordeal. So while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Now, let me pause here and let's just address a couple things and then we'll continue on with Peter. So I would suggest to you that Israel at this point has taken the doctrine of being chosen. So if I took you all the way back to Genesis 12, which you're welcome to look at, but if I took you back there, we could see God's call of Abraham and Sarah and their family and God chose this one family to bless them. And he said, through blessing you, who knows? 
all the earth's going to be blessed. So I have chosen you, and through you, the whole earth will be blessed. So it's, it, it is difficult, though, I think, for us to understand this gulf that now exists in Acts uh, 10 between the Jews and the Gentiles. So there's a racial difference. There's this massive gulf that actually exists. And if we took the time this morning, I would take you back through the Psalms and the prophets, especially Isaiah, and I could show you point after point after point where it is foretold that God's Messiah, who is... Jesus, that's right, would inherit the nation and the Lord's servant, also another name for God's Messiah, also another name for Jesus, um, would, uh, <clears throat> um, would be the light and all nations would flow or stream to him, the Messiah. Um, they would flow to the Lord's house and God would pour out his spirit on all humankind. But here's the problem. Israel has taken, the nation of Israel as a whole at this point, has taken this call from the one God. They are the one people that he has chosen, and they've allowed probably the enemy, their own pride, I don't know, to twist this call of God on them as a nation and as a people into favoritism, into pride, and into racial prejudice against all others who are outside the circle of Jews. Follow me? So this hardness and anger in the heart of the Jews is there and is present against anyone who is outside sort of the family. So let's just open this up. Uh, would an Orthodox Jew ever enter the home of a Gentile? Absolutely not. Would they ever enter the home of a God-fearer? No. Would they ever enter or that, would they ever let a Gentile enter their home? No, I mean, there is like this, this vehemence, this, this racial vehemence and hatred that exists um, from the Jews towards all who are Gentiles. So there's a hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of entrenched prejudice that exists, and all of that has to be overcome right here in Acts chapter 10 so the Gentiles can be admitted into this Christian faith. And so God, the God who from eternity past foresaw, how am I going to um, sort of crack open or blow open the doors or or call Peter to use his keys to open the doors of the kingdom so that those who are outside the Jewish family of faith can come to faith in Christ. Remember, I'm not going to go here, but Jesus with the Samaritan woman, I think that's in John 4, if memory serves. We preached through that at some point. But Jesus actually began to open up um, this transition from um, the Messiah, him being just a Jewish Messiah, to being a savior of the world. So Peter is just fulfilling or moving through um, what Jesus has already started. Okay, so now let's, let's shift here. We helped you understand a little bit about where the nation of Israel is. Let's pivot and let's talk about Peter's pride uh, here for just a second. Peter has a deep-seated sense of pride. He's got a nationalistic pride. He has a sense that he is a Jew. And I, I think what's odd that we would have to point out here is um, Peter was actually the town fisherman and probably the ruffian up in Galilee. But he's still got this deep, entrenched sense of like pride about who he is. In, in fact, people from the northern part of Galilee would be like similar to what we might call a southern redneck. I say that with all deep respect because I'm a landscaper and I wear boots and I have a... Yeah. So let's keep reading, and I'm going to pause again in Acts 10, 14. So we're in verse um, 11. He, uh, Peter, saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. 
this is a side and not a main point here, but I think it's worth at least making. God often has to show up most powerfully in an area of a vision or a trance when there's deep entrenched hardness of heart and thinking. The goal, I've said this before, but I'm convinced that the goal for us as believers is not that we experience big visions and trances like what's going on here. The goal is that we would be so surrendered to the lordship of King Jesus that we become familiar with practicing his presence day by day, moment by moment, that Christ is being fully formed within us and we're able to hear the still small voice of God. So don't read this and go, I need this to happen. It might happen, but it also may not. And you might take it as a sign that your heart's in a good place, that you're not having a cataclysmic trance happening, telling you you need to make this massive shift because your heart's so hard. Yeah? Okay, thanks for laughing. All right. Um, So he saw heaven open and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. Now remember, it's high noon in Palestine. The sun is blazing. It's probably 110 degrees. Verse verse 12. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is in stark contrast to the Levitical food laws. I'm not going to go there. You can look it up if you'd like. But would an Orthodox Jew eat reptiles? No. Would an Orthodox Jew eat a pig from Smithfields? No. Uh, There's all sorts of things that an Orthodox Jew would not eat. So this voice from heaven is all of a sudden telling Peter, Peter, get up, kill and eat. Because remember, Peter is hungry, right? He's hungry. So he's sitting there and he's hungry and all of a sudden this trance happens and heaven opens and a sheet comes down from heaven and he's got all these animals on it that are considered unclean and Orthodox Jews would like say, ah, and they would turn the other way. And then the voice from heaven actually says, kill and eat. In other words, kill what is unclean and consume it into your body because I've issued that there would be no designation between that which is clean and that which is unclean. So all of a sudden, with Peter's hungry, rumbly belly sitting on the roof, he is hearing and seeing the voice of God say, kill and eat. Now let's look at verse 14. What's he say? Surely not, Lord. I'm too good for that. I am an Orthodox Jew. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. What do we have? Peter's pride. Deep-seated pride. I am right with God. There is still this element or this trace in the Apostle Peter at this point in his journey where he is attempting to be made right with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's attempting to be made right with Yahweh God by those things that he does and those things that he doesn't do. And so all of a sudden you have God, Yahweh Almighty, issuing this trance, this sheet comes down, clean and unclean, and God is saying there should be no designation between what is clean and what is unclean. Take and eat. And some of you said amen because you like Smithfields. <laughs> right. And that's why we Christians eat pig and lots of other things. Right? Okay. So <clears throat> let, me, let me make a couple comments about pride here. Is it possible that Peter could have hardened his heart against what the Holy Spirit of God was doing and therefore missed using the keys of the kingdom in the way God intended to open the door to the Gentiles. Absolutely. And you got to get that. Therefore, modern parallel. Is it possible that we can be so busy and consumed with our hurt, our pain, our thing, our focus, our mission, our whatever, that we miss what the Holy Spirit of God is calling us to do? Absolutely. 
let me also say, there is nothing, I don't think, I can't find in Scripture anything that stops the kingdom of God and the presence of the Lord Jesus like spiritual pride and superiority. Let me say that again. I can't find anything in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation that shuts the door on the kingdom of God that removes the presence of Jesus like spiritual pride and superiority. Think with me for just a minute on this. We have the um, Satan, the, the Lord, lowercase l, of darkness. Okay, what, why is Satan removed from heaven? Pride. Superiority. He wanted to be God. Think with me for just a second. When Jesus walked on the earth, does he ever condemn a prostitute? Or someone who's struggling with sexual identity confusion? Or someone who's had an abortion. Or someone, I could go on and on, couldn't I? Someone who's struggling with alcohol. Someone who has a secret addiction in their life. Do we ever get Jesus hammering on people who are struggling or shackled to sin? Who do we get him hammering on? The religious people who have cleaned up the outside of their life, who have navigated and who have shaped things so that they look and appear a certain way, and all of a sudden they carry themselves with pride. And that is who Jesus reserves his fiercest anger and criticism for. He braids whips and he condemns them. He goes, you whitewashed sepulchers. In other words, you're filled with dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you are full of putrid, rotting death. That's, what, that's Jesus' view of pride. Now, what I also love here is you get this tender idea that God has been wooing and winning the Apostle Peter. And he's slowly been lowering his own pride. He has been bowing his knee to the Lordship of Christ Jesus. He's already extended and used those keys to the kingdom to open up the door for the Samaritans. And suddenly on this particular day, the Holy Spirit of God says, Now, Peter, it is time for you to fully surrender this idea of what's clean and unclean based on the external alone and to open up the door to the Gentiles. So let's see what, how Peter responds. Before we go there, let me also say um, two things. Uh, a victim mentality, um, a self-pity tendency uh, is the opposite side of the pride coin. A victim mentality a self-pity tendency is just the opposite side of the pride coin. In other words, you are so consumed with either what you have done or what you cannot do. You follow me? You are, you are so consumed with either who you are or who you're not that you've gotten your eyes off of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You've gotten your eyes off of Christ Jesus and you've put them on who? And that always creates either pride or self-pity and victim mentality. Always. Get them off of yourself. And we actually live in a culture where when people sort of labor under a lot of like victim or like self-pity, we, we go, oh, and that's not. No, it is a bad thing. Get rid of that. Just like you would get rid of pride. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me? Humble yourself. Same thing. When you are laboring under something, it is that God has called you to actually hang that sin on the cross so that you can be fully free of it. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, the other thing that I have, we've got to deal with here just a second, and I'm not going to park too, too long on it, but under this sort of thought of Peter's pride is there is this massive error that I would say that exists in our American version of Christianity where we have created sort of a hierarchy of sin. You know what I'm saying? 
It's like we walk around and we're like, oh, I'm not doing what they're doing. So I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm proud of myself. Aren't you proud of me? Right? But what the kingdom, so the kingdom of God comes in and everything gets flipped, sort of upside down, if you will. Because all of a sudden, what Jesus spends all of his, most, his time fiercely criticizing in the righteous indignation of God is actually those people who have cleaned up the outside. In other words, he, he, has, he is actually putting a much more severe weight on those people who have secret sins of the heart rather than people who are more egregious external sinners. Because guess what? They already know they're sinners. Like they're convinced. I am a, they know it. But the people over here laboring under this pride, it's like this self-aggrandizement thing. And that is who Jesus came to deal with. So let us be careful, even as a church, that we not look down on people who are stuck on what we would consider more egregious external sins. It may be, and in fact, when I go from Genesis to Revelation, that the way God deals with the pride of the human heart is more serious and significant than the way he deals with sort of the, the pet sins that the American church likes to soapbox. Not salt box, soap box. Thank you. Okay. Uh, this, this whole thing opens the door to... to um, well, let's keep going. This, that's, that's Peter's pride. So we got the pride of Israel. We have Peter's pride. Let's keep reading in uh, verse 14. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied in his great pride. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. I mean, check this clarity out. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. I mean, if Peter walked into the temple in Jerusalem and preached that God made a swine or a pig clean, he would be labeled a heretic and thrown out. So God has literally dropped a sheet down. I'm kind of being silly with, with this pig thing, but well, I, our little girl Amelia has a herd of pigs that she sleeps with. This is really funny. <laughs> She's got a mama pig and two little baby pigs, and she sleeps. And occasionally, the herd of pigs falls out of the bed, you know, and then guess what happens? She comes in and gets us because she's lost one of the pigs in the night. So I'm, I'm being a little, a little silly here, but, but here's what I want you to get, is you have God Almighty who's dropped this sheet, and on the sheet, all of a sudden in front of Peter, you have things like pigs, things like reptiles, nasty things. Oh my, oh my goodness, I would never eat that. And what God is using this to pivot in Peter's heart and mind is, stop calling Gentiles unclean. I've opened the door to them. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verse 16, this happened three times. God always deals with Peter in threes. How many times did Peter deny him? How many times did Jesus reinstate Peter? And immediately the sheet was taken back up into heaven. Verse 17, while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped by the gate. And they called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. Okay, quick recap. You have Cornelius, um, who's in beautiful maritime Caesarea. He has a vision, an angel shows up. Go get Simon Peter because you're a righteous, God-fearing man and Simon Peter's gonna lead you to the Messiah 
who's not just the Jewish Messiah, but the Savior of the world. Simultaneously, they, his guys go on a 32-mile trek down to Joppa. Peter is standing on the roof of the house. He's having this trance. The sheet comes down. He is seeing things that are previously labeled unclean, and God is saying they are clean. And Peter's scratching his head going, whatever do you mean, God? Simultaneously, the guys are knocking at the door, and they're saying, hey, we're looking for a guy named Simon who goes by Peter, and he wants, you know, we want to take him back so that he can meet this guy named Cornelius, who God has told us to come get. <clears throat> okay. Where are we? Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Verse 16. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. Verse 17. Peter's wondering uh, what this means. Verse 18. They called out asking if Simon, who was known Peter, uh, known as Peter, was staying there. Okay, let's, let's deal now with a secondary issue to Peter's pride. This is Peter's prejudice. So Peter has, I have already said it, but he says it has a deep-seated racial intolerance or prejudice towards the Gentiles. So actually, um, Acts 10, verse uh, 20, let's read that. So get up. I think I'm skipping ahead, aren't I? Where did I stop? Thank you. 19, let's go ahead and read 19 and 20. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, so Peter's scratching his head, there you go. The Spirit said to him, that's capital S Spirit, so who is that? Holy Spirit of God, yep. Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate. If you've got a Bible, circle that. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. So this is part two of this vision. Stop calling unclean what I have called clean. Stop calling pigs unclean. Stop calling Gentiles unclean. I want you to use the keys that I have given you, Matthew 16, to open the door up so that Gentiles can begin to come to faith. And this can go from just being a Jewish movement in Palestine so I can blow the doors off this thing and use the Roman roads to carry the gospel up and down all over Europe and the known world so that we can actually birth this spirit-filled, Jesus-centered movement that's going to radically shape and transform the entire history of the world. So 10, verse 20, circle that, do not hesitate. In, in, I'm reading out of the NIV. That can also be translated without hesitation. It could be translated without misgivings. Or I think most accurately that should be translated, make no distinction. Here's why this is important. Make no distinction. You can also look uh, at Acts 11, verse 12 if you want to. Just flip over one chapter if you've got your Bible. But the Spirit told me to have no hesitation. Same thing. No distinctions. I think the most accurate translation here is no distinction. And what that begins to open up is there is no distinction between foods that are clean and unclean. There's no distinction between clean people and unclean people. And that sort of gives, gives way to God breaking down the barrier, this sort of unwarranted distinction between Jew and Gentile. And we'd go all the way back, if I could take you there, we don't have time, but to what the psalmists and the prophets and especially Isaiah foretold about God's Messiah, where he would inherit the entirety um, of the nation. The Lord's servant would be their light. All nations would flow or stream to him in God's house, um, and God would pour out his spirit on all humankind. So this all begins to set the table for what the great apostle Paul would ultimately write in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ. 
So there, this, what is being imparted and where God Almighty is calling Peter to use these keys to open this door, he is actually beginning to set the table for get rid of your pride, get rid of your prejudice, humble yourself before me, stop calling unclean what I have made clean, and let's make this a worldwide movement. Jesus is not just king of the Jews. Jesus is the savior of the world, the rightful sovereign. So get about sharing him with the known world. We don't have the time to unpack it today, but if I could take the time, there's, there's twice in the Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus feeds a crowd of people. The first, he feeds 5,000, and that's at a place called Aramis um, Heights or Tabga, and that's at the northern part of the Sea of Galilee, and those were all the kids of Israel, the children of Israel, the people of Israel. They're all Israelites. But there's a second time, if the Sea of Galilee is like this, um, so that's on the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. There's a second time where it says Jesus feeds a group, and it's a group of 4,000, and it's on the eastern side of the lake, and it's almost assuredly um, Gentiles from all the cities of the Decapolis. And here's why this is just important. It's because God, from eternity past, I could take you through all the way back to Genesis 12, where God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, to be a blessing entirety of the world. And then all the way to Jesus, he comes and he feeds first the children of Israel. The gospel was instituted. He is a Jewish Messiah and he came first and offered it to the Jews. And then he turned and he fed 4,000 at a place called Tel Hadar on the Sea of Galilee. And that is where he opened the door and he began to invite non-Jews to partake in the supper of the Lamb. So all of a sudden now you go back to the Apostle Peter here in Acts 10 and what is happening is God is unraveling the pride in Peter's heart, the prejudice in Peter's heart. And now here's where I want us to to tie up and land is what is going to happen inside of Peter's heart? How is Peter going to respond to this conviction of the Holy Spirit? And what is Peter's priority or what is it about Peter that makes him so favored by God? Let's keep reading. Verse 20, so get up and go downstairs, do not hesitate, make no distinction, and go with them, for I have sent them. Verse 21, Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for, why have you come? You think he's defensive? I think so. Why are you here? I don't want you here. I don't want to be seen with you. That's what's going through his mind. I don't like you. You're Gentiles. Verse 22, the men replied, now remember, who are are these men that are replying? Attendants, servants, that's right. We have come from Cornelius the centurion. What does Peter immediately do when he hears that? Bristles. Ah! We hate centurions here. We don't like Romans. Gentile dogs. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Again, indicator of hardness of heart, not an indicator of spirituality. Verse 23, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. Circle verse 23. Right there, I think we see Peter's priority and why Peter is so favored and called by God. Why God chose him to hold the keys to the kingdom. Because I would say in verse 23, what you have is Peter repenting. Full repentance. 
He doesn't understand it yet, but he chooses to relinquish the control of this movement. He chooses to relinquish control of this church he's pastoring. He chooses to relinquish control of holding the door shut on the Gentiles. And all of a sudden, he risks using these keys to open the door and follow the Holy Spirit of God into what he's doing. Suddenly, what is Peter's priority? Is it his kingdom? No. Is it his church? No. Is it his will? No. Is it his way? No. And we see a man who is postured in the same way that Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane. God, take this cup from me, yet not my will, but your will. Same thing we see here with Peter. Does Peter, do I think for a minute that Peter likes this centurion? No. Do I think he has warm, fuzzy feelings to the Gentiles? No. But I think that what we begin to see is Peter's humility before a holy God. You get to see Peter's dependence upon the Holy Spirit. You see Peter's continual surrender to the lordship of Christ Jesus. You get to see Peter's uh, obedience to the vision from heaven. And you have Peter here humbling himself, repenting, changing his heart, changing his mind, using the keys of the kingdom given him by Jesus in Matthew 16 to open the doorway of faith for you and for me. Worship team, would you guys come out? If I could make application to us here for a minute. You get Peter forsaking his pride. You get Peter forsaking his prejudice. You get Peter forsaking his assumptions and his presumptions. And you get Peter acting in obedience to God, opening the doors to the kingdom, and really just blowing the doors off of this movement so that you and I can come to faith. May we be a church that forsakes our pride, that forsakes our prejudice, that is willing to bow our knees before God and go, Father, I don't know what you're doing in this day and age, but we want to participate with you in the kingdom of God on the earth, in the here and now. God's character doesn't change, but the way that he works in and through each generation often shifts. So here's where I want to invite you. If you'd find yourself today and you'd go, man, I have some areas in my heart, some pride, some lack of surrender, some areas where I've even perhaps been prejudiced against other people. I want to invite you to go, Holy Spirit, would you sift my heart? And let's make like the Apostle Peter, forsaking our pride, forsaking our prejudice, and grasping on the things that made Peter who he was, humility, obedience before the Lord, a life that it was surrendered and resurrendered and surrendered again to the Lordship of Christ. And may we as a church experience the kingdom of God, the presence of the Lord Jesus, and the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. Father, as we go today, I pray that we would sense your gracious presence in our lives. Father, I pray that as a church, we would, your face would shine upon us. I pray that you'd go before us. I pray that you'd come behind us. Father, I pray that you would transform us and we would be a people stilling our hearts 
experiencing the full formation of King Jesus within us, accessing the kingdom of God moment by moment, day by day, forsaking pride, forsaking prejudice, humbling ourselves before you. Father, we praise you and we worship you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast of Saltbox Church. If this content was helpful to you, please like it, rate it, review it, and share it on social media, as that is helpful to us. We believe when a person grows in their own Jesus journey, everyone around them benefits and gets better.